The sun is shining. Winter is back. But we've had a mild winter, and I praise God for it. I'd like to, before I start to turn, if you don't mind, I'd like to just have a short prayer, if you don't mind. Darling, Father, what a privilege it is to be in your house on bended knee here to worship you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that if there be any sins among, among us, including myself, that there would be nothing that would keep your Holy Spirit from being here and filling your house and filling these temples and bringing us your word. We thank you for your love, your mercy, for the blood of Jesus Christ. We just, we just love you. And what a privilege it is to be a member of your remnant church, and truly we are your remnant church. And we thank you for everything, Lord, everything that you do. And yes, you are caring for us. And you're loving us, and we thank you for that too. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, we as Christians, as you know, obviously we really hate sin. You know that? I mean, we really hate sin. And we hate sin for good reasons, because we hate sin for what it did to Jesus on the cross. And just as we look at what happened to Jesus on the cross, really gives us a strong idea of just how rotten and miserable sin is. And of course, we also hate sin because we know that people who are practicing sin will ultimately keep them from going to the kingdom and being with Jesus and being with the Father. But there's something that I find, not only in the world, but even with ourselves and with even in Christianity, that's even worse than sins. Because when most people think of sin, they think of big sins. You know, They think of murder and uh, adultery and, you know, I don't even want to mention, you know, really horrible sins. But what most people don't think about is the little sins. And that actually that little sins are actually more deadly than the big sins. And the reason why they're so deadly is because people who practice them believe that they're not sinning. And that's the sad part. It reminds me of something that Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, regards to one of the seven churches that were in Asia. Jesus says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would rather you be cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit thee out of my mouth. Now, obviously we know the meaning of that. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, I would rather you knew that you were lost. At least you understand your condition. Or I would rather you know that you're saved. That's great. But when you're lukewarm, you think you're saved and you're not. You don't even know your own condition. And because of that, God sadly has to cast us out. We will not be a part of the kingdom. I really believe that there's no greater deception of sin, of the, the little sins. And, you, and when you think of all a big sin, you know, we can think of the story of Eve. We all know the story of Eve, how she plucked the fruit, the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know if we're aware that God even warned Eve, we're all familiar with the story, that God even warned Eve, we're told in the spirit of prophecy, how that there was a war in heaven and how Lucifer was cast out of, out of the kingdom and cast down to the earth. And they were warned to stay by Adam's side. Remember that? They were specifically warned. I want to read that to you. It's actually found in Patrick and Prophets, chapter 3, The Temptation and the Fall, page 53 through 55. 
There is a lot of doctrine. There is a lot of spiritual meat right here I what I'm about to read you. The angels warned Adam and Eve to be on their guard against the devices of Satan. For his efforts to ensnare them would be unwearied while they were, while they were um, obedient to God. The evil one could not harm them while they were obedient. And if need be, every angel in heaven would be sent to their help if they steadfastly repelled his first insinuations. They would be as secure as the heavenly messengers. But should they once yield to temptation, their nature would become so depraved that in themselves they would have no power, no disposition to resist Satan. The tree of knowledge had been made a test of their obedience and their love to God. The Lord had seen fit to lay on them but one prohibition as to the use of all that was in the garden. But if they should disregard His will in this one particular, they would incur the guilt and transgression. Satan was not allowed to follow them with continual temptation. He only had access to them at the forbidden tree. That's interesting, isn't it? You always kind of think what Satan would be following around Adam and Eve trying to cause them to fall. But God had designed that there was only one place that Satan could have access to them, and that was at the forbidden tree. And then we're told that should they attempt to investigate its nature, they would be exposed to his wiles. They were admonished to give careful heed to the warning which God had sent them and to be content with the instructions which he had seen fit to impart. The angels had cautioned Eve to be aware of separating herself from her husband while occupied in her daily labor in the garden with him. With him she would be less in danger from temptation than if she were alone. But absorbed in her pleasing task in the garden, she unconsciously wandered from his side. On perceiving that she was alone, that's a little center right here. On perceiving that she was alone, she felt an apprehension of danger, but dismissed her fears. Deciding that she had sufficient wisdom and the strength to discern evil and to withstand, when to withstand it. Unmindful of the angel's caution, she soon found herself gazing with mingled curiosity and admiration upon the forbidden tree. Do you see the little sins that were there? The little sin was that where Eve actually thought she was safe was when she first realized that she was not at Adam's side. She had the option right there to go back to Adam's side, hating God's command. It was God's command for her to stay by Adam's side. In fact, it wasn't just given to her. It was given to Adam too that they, while in the Garden of Eden... That was the only place that they needed to do that because within the midst of the garden was a forbidden tree. So God had warned both of them to stay together, stay by each other's side. That way you would be less tempted. So as when Eve unconsciously wandered away, she realized that she wasn't by Adam's side. And so what did she do? She dismissed her fears. That was the first deadly little sin. The, I should say the first deadly sin when she realized she was not by Adam's side, she should have ran back to Adam, heeding God's word, but she didn't. And she even decided that she had wisdom, that she could discern what's evil and good, and that she could withstand it. Little sins, deadly little sins. 
And again, most of us would think the deadly sin was when Adam actually, when Eve actually plucked a forbidden fruit. But I'm telling you, the deadly sin, well, the deadly little sin was way before that because she actually never thought she was in any danger during that period of time. Right up to the point where she was gazing at the forbidden tree. This reminds me of a, of a saying that I know many of you are familiar with is that the curiosity of the cat killed the cat. Have you ever heard that? The curiosity of the cat. And just to give you a little story of that in case you're not familiar with it, but there was an owner who had a little cat and he loved the little cat dearly. And he wanted to protect the little cat because he knew that the little cat was frail. And he had this big, beautiful backyard, and so he built a nice tall fence all the way around it. It was huge. He had bushes, he had ponds. There was little things in there for the cat to, to play and explore life and the outside and the birds and everything. And as the cat was outside, enjoying the outside, enjoying uh, the pleasures that the master had set up for the cat, the master did warn the cat, stay within the safeguard of the fence and everything will be okay. But while the cat was in the garden, he heard a digging on the side of the house. But he couldn't see it because of the tall fence. And he became to be curious about what the digging sound was coming from. And so the cat thought, well, I know I could jump pretty high, you know. If I jump to, jump to the top of the fence and just stand on the top of the fence, maybe I could see what's going on. So the cat did that. And he was just standing there on the top of the fence and he was looking. And he can still hear the digging, but he still couldn't see. And he can hear the master's warning in his head, you know, stay within the safeguards of the fence. But the cat dismissed his fears. You know, I can handle this. You know, I can recognize evil from it. So the cat jumped down, went around the side of the house, and there was a vicious dog digging a hole. When the dog saw the cat, he chased the cat down and killed the cat. Now, where was, where was it when the cat went wrong? When it jumped down onto the ground and went around the side of the house and then when it was killed by the cat or when it became curious about leaving the safeguards of the fence in which, God, which the owner had placed. I tell you, the deadly sin is when the cat first started becoming curious in something outside of the owner's command. And we find the same thing in the Christian life. That when we become curious in things that God has forbidden, that is where the danger lies. And the danger lies, we think, well, I haven't done anything yet. No, you already have. When you're already contemplating leaving God's word, you have lost the protection of the fence in which God has placed. Amen? I was going to say that, uh, well, let me just catch my thoughts here. And I want to say that it's the same thing with us, too, you know. There's no doubt that if you think about any time that we have sinned, it's only when we started to become curious in things that God has forbidden. And it doesn't take a lot. All it takes is just one little departure from God's Word, and you're already in danger. And the more I've been coming along, I've been a Christian, and the Lord, more the Lord is just showing me on this path on the way to the kingdom, the Lord has shown me the dangers of just departing even the slightest little bit away from God's Word. Because, again, many times we've all done that. How many times have you 
not turned on a television show and watched something that you knew that you shouldn't watch, you know? You knew there were going to be sexual innuendos and disgusting thoughts that shouldn't be in your mind. But you know what you said to yourself? You dismissed your fears, didn't you? And the second thing you thought, I can discern evil and good. I can handle it, right? We've all done it. Every one of us who has sinned, that's how it all started. It isn't the big sin that you commit that's so horrible as much as it was the little sin because you didn't recognize you have already sinned when you did that. Ellen White tells us this in regards to everything I just read and about Eve in the garden. But she's talking about us just as well. She says, um, let me get it here. She says this, Satan tempts men to distrust God's love and to doubt his wisdom. He is constantly seeking to excite a spirit of irreverent curiosity. Amen? Irreverent. And it's irreverent because God has already given us the hedge of His Word, the protection of His, of His Word. And when we take one step outside of that Word, we're already saying, you know what, God? I don't believe what you said. I don't trust that what you say is really what you say. You know that? I think I can, I can handle this. I'll see it for myself. Thank you. We've all done that. Before any of us have sinned, and when we know we were venturing where we shouldn't do, we all kind of had the little voice in our head. I know you have, because I have too. And you know what we all kind of did? We just kind of poo-pooed that, you know? And we went ahead and did it anyways, didn't we? And we thought, oh, I can handle this. You know, I've done it too. I've done it too. I remember being times where I've been, I like to watch YouTube. And when you go to the home page of YouTube, there's all these little pictures, you know? And you look at them, sometimes you're just bored, and you look for something to maybe see that's interesting, and you see a little image. And you think, you know, the image looks a little, you know, sketchy, you know. And, uh, but I'm curious. I'm curious. I know I shouldn't really probably click on this, but I'm curious. And then you click on it, thinking, oh, I can handle it. And next thing you know, you're somewhere where you shouldn't be, and just like Eve, you're staring at the forbidden tree with curiosity. And next thing, it's over with. You've already sinned. You've already sinned. It's got you. You can't handle it. That's the reason why God has given us the protection of His Word. If we stay within His Word, there's protection. Think about any sin that you've ever committed. I guarantee you first ventured off the path. Every one of us have done it. And there's no sin in being curious, is there? Curiosity is good when you're being curious about the things of God's creation, things that uplift God. But when you're being curious in things that you know God said, you know, stay away from. You're being irreverent. Irreverent curiosity. And you can remember the story. And again, just to show you another illustration, we all remember the story of David, right? Here David wrote the Psalms. Songs to God. Beautiful songs praising God. He's even called in the scriptures a man after God's own heart. And it's found in Acts chapter 13 and 22. That's where it states that, that Adam was, or David was a man after God's own heart. But we're told something in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, something that David did. And I know you're all familiar with it, but I'm going to read it. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed, and he walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. She was taking a bath. 
And a woman was very beautiful to look at. Now there's no doubt David was very curious. There's no doubt what David should have done at that moment was turn and run from the scene. And there's no doubt David, I'm sure, looked at that figure, you know, hey, I'm a godly man. I'm the you know, king of Israel here. You know, me and God, we're tight. You know, I can handle this. But he stepped outside of God's word when he kept looking. And when he kept looking, sadly, the Bible tells us this. Um, let me find it here. It says in uh, also Second Channel Samuel chapter eleven, he inquired after the woman. I should say he sent messengers and he inquired after the woman, and he learned that she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and that she sent messengers to get this woman, and he brought her to his place and he laid with her, and she conceived and she had a child. That is, again, you can see the little sin that David did from the very beginning. When he saw a woman taking a bath, he should have turned and ran right there knowing he was already sinning. But you know David didn't think he was sinning. Hey, I didn't do anything. I'm just looking. Right? I'm just looking. But that looking goes, it went from a chance to get away and obey God's word to a point where he was actually disobedient and actually committed sin. And the question here is, where is the sin? Was it in the looking, or was it when he actually slept with Bathsheba, another man's wife, and committed adultery? You're all familiar with what Jesus has to tell us in the Bible. Jesus makes it very clear that he tells us that you have heard that, in the, that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, when you look at a woman to what? Lust. You have committed adultery already where? In your heart. You see, the sin was when David actually looked at Bathsheba and it went beyond looking. At that point, it was over with. You couldn't handle it. The Bible tells us that every man is drawn away of his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. You find that in First James uh, 14 and 15. I said James 1, I'm sorry, 14 and 15. You see, we're... David made the mistake was he didn't think he, the sin wasn't going to happen unless I did something. But in reality, it wasn't. Is when he went beyond look to where he lost. The sin had already happened. What happened after that was just a fruit of the sin that he already conceived. Do you understand that? And a lot of times we think, well, you know, hey, I, 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 I'm looking at this TV show and it's not going to hurt me. Oh, yeah, it's hurting you. Believe me. You know, I haven't done anything. Yes, you have. You just did it in your heart. But I never, but there was never no fruit. I never went to anything beyond that. It don't matter. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us the only reason why you haven't gone any further is because the opportunity didn't present itself where you would have. Because you can never get in a hot bed of sin and think you can handle it because you can't handle it. You can't handle sin without God. That is for sure. Amen? And then there's the story of Lot's wife. You remember how Abraham had a nephew named Lot and his wife, and you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, here God, by His mercy, let me read this to you. By His mercy, is found in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 16. And while he, Lot, lingered, the men, which were the angels, laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord, being merciful unto him and to them, 
And they brought him forth and sent them without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all thy plain, escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. Simple command, right? All you have to do is just obey God's word. Don't look back. That's it. Simple command. Just don't look back. And you can just hear the thoughts almost going through uh, Lot's wife's mind. I mean, come on. What could hurt just to look back, right? I mean, that's just, come on. It's just a little tiny infraction from what the commandment of the Lord says. I just need, I just want to investigate what's going on. I mean, certainly God didn't mean just looking back, did He? I mean, just looking back is certainly just a little thing. It's just a small little departure from His Word. And of course, you can hear Satan speaking to her minds too, because if we're honest, we've heard these same arguments in our, with our own, own heart when we sin. And you can hear Satan say, aren't you curious just to see what's happening? Come on, you can handle it. I mean, you can discern evil. God really doesn't mean that you couldn't just look back, could you? There's no doubt that Eve took on a irreverent curiosity. An irreverent curiosity and something that God had already forbid her to do. And she went ahead and looked back and God had to destroy her. When you read the spirit of prophecy and you think about what Jesus says about how adultery can be committed in the heart before the, any act, there's no doubt that Eve wasn't looking back just because she was curious to see what happens. We're told in the spirit of prophecy that she had a love for the sins and what was going on in Sodom. So before she looked back, that sin was already there. Looking back was a fruit of the sin of the heart. Do you see that? Sad. Irreverent curiosity. Whenever we are looking, watching, hearing anything that is contrary to God's Word, we are being irreverent to God. One small departure is all it takes. There's a statement in the Spirit of Prophecy, volume 4, page 611, that says this. I love this. The heart preoccupied with God's Word, the Word fortified, I'm sorry, the Word fortified with the Word, um, I'm sorry, I'm missing this up. The heart preoccupied with the Word of God is fortified against Satan. I love that. Fortified. It has the word fort in it, like Fort Bragg, Fort Necessity. And we all know that forts have high walls around them. So there are, God's word is like a fort. It is a protection. And there is protection when we're within the fort, but there is no protection once you're outside the fort. And it's not just looking. We're also told that we're to guard the avenues of the soul. We're told that in my life today, page 86, and many other places in the Spirit of Prophecy. That it's not only what we look at, it's what we taste, touch, it's what we taste, it's what we hear. When we do any of those things outside of God's expressed command, we are being not only irreverent curiosity, but you are not saved. You guarantee you, you will, you will commit sin if you never really do commit the fruit of the sin, if that makes sense. We're told in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, 
Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And not just think. Do those things, you know? And I think we can add hearing, touching, um, looking, all those things to the well of thinking. What we look at should be pure. What we hear should be pure and righteous. What we touch should be according to God's command. And there's plenty of Bible things in the Bible about touching. You can remember, um, who was it? Uzzah, who touched the ark. Remember that? You can find an example for every one of these things in God's Word. And of course, we're all familiar that it's just by beholding, just by looking, we become changed. And I think that sometimes we don't believe that. We don't think that just by beholding things that we can be changed. But if you just think about from the stories we just read, by just Eve looking with curious, irreverent curiosity upon the forbidden tree, she went from an unfallen being to a fallen being. There was a change. When David, who was a man after God's own heart, wrote the Psalms, beautiful songs to God, just by looking at Bathsheba and went beyond looking to Bathsheba, he became a man after God's own heart to a murderer and an adulterer. Amen? Eve, just so led by the hands of angels out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, by the hands of angels, looked back. And of course, she was destroyed and turned into a pillar of salt. And sometimes I think that you know, we think, well, you know, this doesn't apply to us. But it does. And there's a very strong uh, passage in the New Testament that speaks to you and me on this about what Lot's wife. It's found in Luke chapter 17, and verse, starting in verse 26. I want to read this to you. It says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they did drink, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they did drink, they bought, they sold, they planted and builded. But in that same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus... Shall it be in the days when the Son of Man shall be revealed? We're talking about the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes in the clouds in which every Adventist, that's our greatest, we can't wait for that to happen. We're all looking for that day. But we're told in that day, He which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in a house, let him not come down and take it away. And that he is in a field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Very serious. Very serious. If you're outside and you hear the trumpet sound and the roll, clouds roll back like a scroll and your family's inside, don't go running back. Don't go running back. You disregard God's word in just the slightest little infraction. Remember Lot's wife. That's what God is telling us. Amen? On that day, you better not have any irreverent curiosities. And I love what 1 Corinthians tells us. It tells us about all the stories in the Bible. It tells now all these things happen unto them for our example. And they are written for our admonition. That means our learning. Upon whom the ends of the world have come. Are we living in the end of the world? 
All these things in the Bible were written not to entertain us, but for us to gather the lessons, the mistakes that they did by departing from God in just the slightest little infraction. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, it goes on to say, Wherefore, let him think if he standeth, take heed to the stories, lest he fall. And we need to teach them, and we need to teach and stay away from questionable websites, TV shows, books, magazine, computers, I mean, computer games, which we know that are unholy, unsanctified, unpure, unlovely. And if we think that we can keep doing those things or do those things, you're greatly mistaken. You have sinned already before you've done anything else. And you have left the protection. You're no longer fortified by God. God can't do anything for you once you leave His Word. You are a free will. You have the free will to stay within His Word. And you have the free will to go without His Word. And that means even if we have to shun friends who are unholy and do things and want to drag us down a path that we don't want to be, sometimes we need to stay away from them. And children, I say that to you young people too. Don't hang with worldly people if they're going to tempt you and drag you or even give these suggestions of wrong thoughts. I regret today, I admit it, I regret today I have a nephew. He's not a, he's not a Seventh-day Adventist. He's not a Christian. And uh, he's, he, as a kid, they're all hooked on these computer games. And all they want was these computer games, these war games. And for Christmas, he said, this is the war game I want. And I bought it for him and I gave it to him. You know what? I regret that day. I regret that day that I ever did that. Because every time he's on there stabbing this other guy on the computer game and blowing away. And these computer games are graphic. I mean, I've seen them. I mean, it's like, wow. I, it's as if you're really doing, you're committing a deed. I'll tell you, in God's eyes, I'm not sure. I think maybe in your heart you are committing a deed. I like also, though, I like how in the Bible that we learn that uh, these people who have sinned, and even we have sinned, can come back to God's Word and learn the lessons. We're told that David tells us in Psalms 101 and verse 3, David finally learned his lesson. It's well worth reading. I love to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read a short part of it because I want that part to stick in your mind because David had a problem with looking at things he shouldn't. David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Amen? And there's no doubt that King David, we're told, will also be in the kingdom of God. And there's no doubt that we're also told that Eve will be in the kingdom of God. So you can have you know, fallen, made mistakes, which we've all done. But we have the opportunity now to take heed to the stories that God has given in His Word and, and learn the lessons not to depart from God's Word even in a little bit. When you're in a bookstore, don't pick up some steamy book with a steamy book cover and be curious to go in there. When you see it, turn your head. Walk away. I know a lot of women are hooked on these things. Soap operas and steamy novels and things like that. We've already sinned when you start picking up the book and investigate it. You need to understand that. You've departed from God's Word. You can't handle it. Give me one Bible story where somebody was able to come parlaying with sin and handle it. Name one story where somebody's made a small departure from God's Word and it ended well for them. There is not one story. And that is the lesson 
that we need to take from God's word today. God wants to take us to the heavenly kingdom. We're in the last days. And I can sense, and within God's church, the Lord is really just pouring out some straight testimonies on the sanctuary and everything. I hope you see that too. God is really uh, sharing with us the importance of His Holy Spirit because you need the Holy Spirit to keep you from sinning. The Bible says it's not by might, nor is it by strength, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Amen? We need to be praying for His Spirit, and we need to be obedient to God even in the little things. And don't think those little things aren't deadly. They're the most deadly because you think that when you're doing them, you're okay. But you're not. It's time, friends, we're in the end of the world. God wants to make us into His image. He wants to write His law on our heart. But He can't do it without your cooperation with Him. Amen? May God bless you and be with us, each and every one of us. If you don't mind, I'd like to have just a little prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, there's no doubt that many of us, if honestly, all of us have been guilty of departing from your word at some point, somewhere, maybe weekly, maybe daily. Lord, may we learn the lessons from your word that departing from your word, your fortified word, your protection, in just the smallest infraction, in just a little particular, means only danger and destruction to ourselves. And that when we choose that path, there's nothing that you can do to save us at that point. We've made our decision. May us also learn the lesson from these stories within your word to stay within your word. Let us experience that. There is a peace within your word, Lord, that the world don't understand. And I know from personal experiences, my Christian walk with you, that when I'm obedient with you in the most littlest things, there's a peace in my life. The temptations don't seem to be there nowhere near where they were before. And I just thank you for this message, and I thank you for this church, and I thank you for these people. Lord, may every one of us be in your kingdom. Please let, let your spirit give us a night of rest until we're totally obedient with you on everything. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ who can make all these things possible. But we also recognize that we, there's a part for us to play too. And that is called surrendering our will to your word. Let us never, never entertain an irreverent curiosity in anything. And I thank you for your mighty power for your Holy Spirit and for your love for us, each and every one of us, Lord. You know the number of each one of our hairs on our head. You love us that much. And I thank you for your love, Lord. Let us show you our love by being obedient to you in every little detail. Amen.